I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, today we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Right at the very beginning of the creed, we say the words, I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Now, there's just a whole bunch of implications about that, and where we start from is going to affect where we end up. How do we understand creation? How do we understand our own place in that creation? Well, that's going to affect everything, because where we fit in creation as an individual, as a community, is going to affect our responsibility to the creation, uh, to the community around us. So today we're going to explore that a little bit more, specifically in regard to how we relate to the world as masculine and as feminine. We started this conversation last week when we talked with founder uh, Jill Simons, founder of PinkSaltRiot.com. You can go take a look at that website, see what she has to offer. You can also go to OutsideTheWalls.com and catch that episode. Catch up if you missed it. Uh, This week, we're going to continue the conversation and go a little bit more in depth as we talk with Dr. Pia DeSalini. She's a moral theologian, recently served as the chancellor of the Diocese of Orange and the theological advisor to Bishop Kevin Van. Uh, And she's got a lot to say on this topic, on the topic of the feminine genius, on how St. Pope John Paul II uh, really promoted feminism in, in a specific category, in a specific way. Uh, you know, even as we say the term feminism, it will evoke um, a certain impression or a certain idea. But the term itself is not monolithic. And certainly what Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Benedict, uh, formerly Cardinal Ratzinger, what they promoted would not be the same thing that you might see uh, on the evening news. Uh, and yet they would still have used that term uh, feminism And so we want to look at, okay, let's define these terms, let's understand what we mean by them, and then let's eke out the implications of that. How do we relate to one another as male and female? How do we experience the world as masculine and feminine? And what does that say about our responsibility to one another and our responsibility to the wider culture at large? Now, uh, you know, I have a very specific perspective because I'm a guy. And that's one of the reasons that I'm not just going to pontificate about this. I want to have this discussion with, with Dr. Pia. And of course, again, last week with Jill Simons, because that their voices are essential uh, to this conversation, even with uh, the popes having given us some wonderful documentation, some uh, the, the theology of the body is just really a masterwork uh, in understanding this, among other things, even then there need to be more voices involved with it. And so it's important that we lend uh, as much credence as we can to these fantastically strong Orthodox voices from women. Uh, And so that's going to be part of the show later. And for me, this is very important because I am a a father of daughters, right? And I, I have a vested interest in the way that they are treated by society and in what they can come to expect both in their own lives uh, as, as receivers 
and in their lives as givers, right? What are they going to be responsible for? What is society going to expect of them in a healthy and holistic way? And what can they righteously expect from society on their behalf? Uh, I am now, and if I seem a little bit discombobulated, this is why, uh, I'm now the father not of uh, two daughters, but a third. Uh, We just, uh, earlier today, (laughs) uh, my wife gave birth to our eighth child. We're very excited, but also very tired. Uh, And so, you know, whenever you get this new life in your hands and you're holding this uh, really vulnerable child that can't really even control their own their own hands and feet and they just look like uh, old movies of that are sped up, right? Their, their motions aren't smooth and they're just kind of trying to get a handle on the world and everything looks foreign to them and they're not even old enough to register uh, a sense of wonder. They're just kind of experiencing the world. When you have a life that small and you're you're protecting it. You're charged with protecting it. You're holding it. You're making sure that you're holding it correctly. You're trying to take care of their needs and making sure that they're clean and they're fed and they're warm and they uh, feel the embrace and they have that time to bond. When you're in that place, uh, you get a perspective about what really matters. You get a perspective of, uh, of orienting your hopes that I think kind of crystallize at that moment. Uh, at least for me, you know, there's, there's the plans and the hopes and the ideas and the dreams that you have while the pregnancy is happening, but there's something about holding the child in your arms and gazing at them and realizing and coming to this understanding that, that this soul that you are holding in your arms is an eternal soul, right? That this, this soul is going to live forever well, now, all of a sudden, everything is uh, brought into tighter focus. And because of the world we live in, because of the way that media uh, and society treats uh, the idea and the concept of femininity, the, uh, the expectations that are placed on women from all sides, whether it be those that seek to empower them or to, uh, to oppress them, there are some pretty significant expectations that I think all of them go way too far. So the question that I ask is, what are the, what are the things that her mother and I can give her that will help her to have a holy and a holistic perspective on who she is and how she relates to the world around her? That's the reason that I'm very interested in these questions, uh, and they're questions we're going to talk about right after this break with Dr. Pia De Salini, uh, who is a moral theologian living in Orange County, California. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. She recently put up a post. Uh, it's on our social media that you want to take a look at, and then we'll continue this conversation and dig into the question of how we experience the world through our masculinity and femininity. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. 
I'm your host, TL. And today we're going to continue that that track that we had last week. Of course, last week we talked about what what does it look like for us to be authentically male and authentically female, understanding that there is a difference, uh, and yet it may not be the difference that we think it is. To help us unpack that today, we're talking with Dr. Pia Desalini. Uh, she's a theologian, moral theologian. She recently served as the chancellor for the Diocese of Orange and as the theological um, advisor to Bishop Kevin Van. Dr. Pia Desalini, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's great to be back. Thanks, T.O. So you have done just extensive work uh, in in theology, and of course, this is this is a prime example because very often we have these um, maybe assumptions that oh well, you know, all of the all the documents of the church, all the stuff that we read, it's all it's all done by men, and so theology is man's work. And of course, the church herself pushes back against that by giving us so many doctors of the the church with such wisdom uh, that are that are female and give us a, a a nuanced and richer perspective than we could otherwise get. So talk maybe a little bit about your own experience as being a theological advisor to a bishop and doing theology work as a woman. Well, I mean, anything that I've done, I've done as a woman. And I think this probably underscores my thinking on this is that I think we've been talking too much about what we do rather than who it is that's doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, there's second wave feminism, which focused on, you know, the fact that men and women can do the same things. And I like to joke that as far as I can tell, men and women can do all the same things. I've seen some men that claim that they don't uh, know how to change diapers as well as a woman. (laughs) But uh, other than that, um, you know, we've seen that women can even even exceed the performance of men in some areas. So I think what John Paul II was doing was shifting the conversation to a conversation of being. How is it that being a man or woman contributes to what I do? So my work in theology, um, I I think, first of all, vocationally, I was just coming at things very differently. I was studying mostly with uh, priests and seminarians and religious, both women religious and uh, men religious. And I needed to, um, I, I, I just had very different questions. I was trying to figure out what was I doing in that classroom mm-hmm. <laughs> with so many people in clerical garb or habit. And, at the, and I, I had no desire to become a priest. I mean, that was, that was never an issue for me. And so <clears throat> what I wanted to, I, yeah, I just wanted to, to, to look at these issues. And I think because of, we all come to whatever question we have, we come to it based on our experience. And so I would say that, that the first experience is that of a sexually differentiated body that we're made male or female. And that's going to impact how we, how we experience the world. It, I'm not saying that there's different realities, but I'm saying that we, we see things, we, we experience things differently. Um, there's a, an analogy that I've heard that talks about the complementarity between man and woman is kind of like two eyes because you need both eyes in order to give you depth and perception, right? Uh, depth perception. And with one, you just, you don't have the full perception. So there's a complementarity there. So I, I think that based on my experience, I was looking for, for different answers. I also, um, as a lay student and as someone who was paying my own way to be there, I wanted to be there. And so for a lot of my classmates, this was something they had to get through in order to be ordained, in order to do the final vows and so forth. 
Whereas, no, I was focused on this right here and now. So I think I had a different attachment to it. Um, I think in some environments, there's, I think people are still carving out how it is that, uh, that women have a place in these environments, which have been traditionally all male. And I think that the first thing we have to do is be respectful of the fact that they have been traditionally male dominated or, or all male environments and be respectful of the fact that sometimes change takes a little bit longer than we would like. But I, overall, I have to say my experiences have been fairly positive. Mm-hmm. So you, you briefly mentioned second wave feminism. Would you just a thousand foot view, give us what are the, you know, people think of feminism as a monolithic term. Talk to us about the different expressions and the different waves of feminism and give us just a real quick brief overview of what each of those tried to push forward. Well, I think it's even that's a challenge because even within each of those camps, each of those thinkers sees themselves very differently. And so this is, you know, it's more like the the 30,000 foot view. Um, First wave feminism is just, you know, establishing that we're equal. Right. And so with that are associated things like the right to vote and so forth, access to education. Now, keep in mind that in some, well, first of all, the church was the first uh, entity to educate women en masse, right? Mm -hmm. Before that, women were educated privately, but there was no government or religious entity that educated women en masse. And it was also the church was the first one to open up um, an all girls school, a school for girls, for women, young women. So this first wave of feminism, which is really taking place mm, 19th, early 20th century, is it, it's just trying to establish the fundamental equality between men and women. And then second wave feminism comes in later, and that's really where we're trying to prove that women, men and women can do the same things. So it means not just uh, educating women, but women having access to the same education and so forth, the same jobs. And in the developed countries, we have largely succeeded here. I think we've proven that men and women can do the same things. Um, but third wave feminism now is kind of, is, is taking a step further. And this is where I, I'm honestly not an expert on it because each of the theorists, like the gender theorists start getting involved here in third wave feminism. And so in a way they're trying to say, well, that being a woman doesn't matter, but in a way they say that it does. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I'm not an expert in that area. Um, I, again, I go back to St. John Paul II, and he talks about the fact that we have been, he, he once said, we have been freed from the box of so-called feminism. And I think that was the, what was key. Instead of finding little categories, and I find that everybody loves categories. It, right. it doesn't matter. You can be the most rabid uh, anti-male feminist to kind of a John Paul II feminist. There's the whole range. Everybody loves categories because we want to we want to arrange things. That's how we learn is when we can put things in a category and identify it, right? Mm-hmm. And say when we put it in a category, then you say I know what it is. And so the challenge here is that the, what John Paul II was pushing us towards was getting rid of the categories. And again, if you look at the tradition of the saints, it's just the, we have so many amazing saints, but I would not say that there's a stereotypical male saint or a stereotypical female saint. Right. They lived their masculinity or femininity very, very differently. And yet each was authentically masculine, authentically feminine, and each was authentically a saint. And that that diversity that we see in the lives of the saints 
uh, to my mind, is far more authentic than what is being proposed now with gender fluidity. Gender fluidity is so caught up on body identity um, that it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't allow for freedom. And so, for example, I've seen articles in the New York Times. There's a woman who said, you know, my, I'm, I, I support gender ideology and the transgender movement, but I don't like the fact that my tomboy daughter is already being labeled as a trans because she likes to do, she likes to climb trees. And so that's where I think that the, the Catholic view is actually allows far more diversity and far more freedom. Right. And, you know, one of the issues with categories is that we, we typically will look at a few aspects and then say, oh, well, that fits over in this box because it shares a couple of things and a couple of ideas with this other thing that I'm familiar with. And so it, it really does away with the hard work of, of discernment. Because, oh, well, mm-hmm. if, if I can make a snap decision and put it in a category, I don't really have to take the time to get to know it. And so we, we end up with exactly what you're talking about, where um, we say, oh, well, these activities are masculine. And, you know, I look at my growing up years. I didn't play sports. I didn't play video games. I, and I watch this in my sons now, where uh, the people who were around them would look at them and say, well, these behaviors that you're exhibiting don't look typically masculine. And so we'll, we'll bully or we'll make fun of, or we'll do whatever we need to do in that regard, because you don't fit our category. Uh, And then the pushback against that is to say, oh, well, um, I've got the real true definition of masculinity or femininity rather than saying, Hey, masculinity and femininity are, are part of this body soul combination. And whatever we experience is masculine or feminine by virtue of who we are. Oh, exactly. And, and that, again, comes back to an authentic diversity, which is why you're going to have, you know, Joan of Arc, who's, who's leading an army. Right. <laughs> and, and you've got St. Therese of Lisieux, who desperately wanted to be a priest and through that discerned that part of her vocation was to pray for priests, mm-hmm. right? And the, uh, just there are so many different ways of life that the saints have lived and embraced and become become saints because of those very different ways of life, and none of them really fit into a box. Right. Well, and I look, you know, I think of both uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola and Saint Francis of Assisi were both soldiers, and and found their identity in those behaviors until that was taken away from them, and they had to find their identity now in something else. And so for them, that became the pursuit of Christ rather than these things that they traditionally saw as providing them value. Right, right. One of the other category issues that I want to get into with you in the second segment here is talking about when John Paul II is pushing for women's equality and being able to be in the workplace and all of these other things that he really advocated for. One of the things that he did is to say, yes, uh, we need this activity and this presence in the workforce, but that necessitates that the workforce changes, that it doesn't, right now it's, it's really set up to be quote unquote, a man's world. And to say in accepting these gifts of feminine genius, we have to also make way for a woman to be a woman in the workplace and to support her in that and not just have uh, oh, well, let, I'm going to fit you now into this category that I understand of work. And so now you have to conform everything that you are to this existing category. 
So I guess I would push back. I think that we need to be looking for work environments that just make are more human. I, I don't think that the work environment, many of these work environments don't really facilitate people being healthy human beings. It's not good for fam for fathers as heads of family. Um, it makes it very difficult as a single person to have bandwidth to meet somebody suitable for marriage and to, to, to really be in a healthy space. So for me, I think it's a much broader conversation, and that is that we have to rethink, I think we really need to rethink work, and it is happening. It's happening a lot with the transition to people working remotely. Um, there is a lot more flexibility. People also, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to the changes. It's a very quickly changing work world. People change jobs very quickly and so forth, and so there, obviously there's negatives and drawbacks to that. I think it's also a positive. It's showing us that the work world, in fact, can be agile and our participation in it can be somewhat fluid. I'm excited to see that with all the new media, we're really enabling lots of people to customize work to their needs, their family situation, their personal situation, and people are actually getting quite creative. So to my mind, it's a broader question where we look at the work environment and understand the worker as a subject and not as a means to an end, but rather an end. We're talking today with Dr. Pia de Salini about the feminine genius, as what Pope John Paul II called it. We're talking about the little Twitter dust-up that happened recently about whether women should work outside the home or not, about what the church teaches specifically regarding that, and delve in a little bit to the dignity of the human person. While we're at it, why don't you weigh in over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after... Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking, uh, we're continuing our conversation from last week, and we're talking about uh, the, the role of women in the workplace, and, and really much more than that. Uh, but, but we want to focus in on that, because there was a little dust up on Twitter recently about whether or not women should be working. And of course, as I look at this, uh, I, I have a couple of perspectives. One, I have a wife who is a stay-at-home mother, but also uh, is very industrious and, and has her ways of working that, uh, that brings some income into the home, but also allow her to use her passions and her feminine genius to be able to contribute, uh, not just financially to the home, but to the greater good of society. Uh, and then also looking at the lives of the saints. I think of St. Uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton. I think of St. Uh, Zelie Martin, who all... Uh, St. Gianamola, who all had just really important contributions to make to society at large through the work they did. And so today, as I'm pushing back against that little Twitter dust-up, uh, we're talking with Dr. Pia Desalini, who is a moral theologian, recently served as the Chancellor for the Diocese of Orange and Theological uh, Advisor to Bishop Kevin Van. Dr. Pia, thank you again for joining us. It's always good to be with you. So I'm sure that you, uh, as a former chancellor and theological advisor to a bishop, have some uh, some opinions about this, uh, the value and the role of women at work. Well, I mean, first of all, I want to say that women, I mean, I, I know very few women who don't work. The ones who are the stay-at-home moms probably work harder than all the rest of us put together. Yeah. Um, so 
and there's a there's a danger because we tend to think of work as in terms of that in which generates income, financial remuneration, right? Money. And so I think we have to really challenge ourselves a little bit to step back because a lot of these, uh, the stay-at-home moms, I think, are work tremendously hard. Um, all of the mothers, I think, are, whether they work in the home and outside of the home or uh, just in the home, are doing a tremendous amount to contribute to our society and to the future, really the future of humanity. Um, now, talking about women working outside of the home, you know, Benedict, well, excuse me, Ratzinger, who became Benedict the 16th, authored a letter for the Congregation for Doctrine of Faith, and it was called On the Collaboration of Men and Women in Society. This was published, I believe, in 2004. And when it came out, the, the headline basically was some version of Vatican wants, you know, women barefoot and pregnant. And as usual, there was nobody that was commenting on it, or I shouldn't say nobody, most people who were commenting on it hadn't read the document. The document actually said that men and women had, or women had a role in every aspect of society. And that's what I think is so important to focus on, every aspect of society. Now, we know that, <clears throat> I mean, not even all families are the same, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just that there are different family situations, different gifts, different strengths, et cetera. And what I think we have to do is, first of all, allow uh, people the, the, the freedom to be able to evaluate their own situations and to decide what their role is going to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And obviously in a family, there's more than one person involved in this decision-making, but you know, I think we need to give some space to the couples themselves and trust them that maybe they're able and competent to make some decisions about their life together and how they work and whether it's inside of the home or outside of the home, how they raise their kids. I mean, we are so quick to judge other people and rather than giving them space, I know some families where <clears throat> the the wife handles finances, and you know she may be a stay at home mom, she may be working outside of the home, but she happens to be better at finances than the husband, so she handles them. I know of other situations uh, that you the the husband is a stay at home dad, and mom is the one that's that's got the outside full time job. There are then there are cases with both parents working. There's just I just think we really need to assume that people are competent to make some decisions for themselves. And I want to back up again to what Ratzinger said, that we, women have an aspect, uh, have a role in every aspect of society. And that doesn't mean that every woman has a role in every aspect of society, but it, it means that we that women, we're going to have roles in these different aspects of society. And I feel very grateful because I've you know, my friends, I look at my friends, my female friends, and there are so many different walks of life. And I mean, everybody's living, even family life. I mean, the, the, the way that we're united and the way that we live family life is that we're aiming for the sanctification our, of our family, of ourselves, our spouses, um, for those who have children. That's where we're alike. How we carry that out, just, it differs according to each situation. And that there just is an incredible freedom there that we're, I think sometimes we shortcut when we get involved in these Twitter wars or, uh, of, you know, trying to come up with, again, with a one size fits all right. formula, it doesn't work. And we're limiting what it is that, that people can, can do and to dedicate. And we're not acknowledging the, just the uniqueness of each human person. So 
I really do think that we need women in the professional world. Um, we need women in every aspect of society. I think it's important to see women in leadership in the church, by which I don't mean women ordained. I mean women right. in leadership of the church. I think it's important to have women in the boardroom. I think it's important to have women, again, in every aspect of society, political, the political world, the, the entertainment world. I mean, one of my beefs is that I, I hear women complaining about, you know, they want more power in the church. And I think, do you really think that the church has that kind of impact? Who's shaping the way that people think? Right. It's the entertainment world. So if you want to change the world, if you want power, I mean, I think, you know, I'm sorry, I'd like to see the, the next um, Tina Fey be a brilliant Catholic woman who knows how to write really well and can do, you know, starts at SNL and writes brilliant comedy and can act as well. I mean, those are the people that are shaping the world. We're talking today with Dr. Pia DeSalini. Dr. Pia, let's look at this a little bit more and, and take a step back because something that you you said uh, kind of struck a chord with me. And that's, we, we've been looking at these category errors of maybe we're looking at uh, masculinity and femininity wrong, but maybe part of that is because we're even looking at work wrong. Uh, a lot of times we, we, our, the, our expression of Christianity takes on the flavor of the soup that's around us. And we are undeniably in a uh, free market capitalist system. And, and th there's nothing necessarily right or wrong about that, um, although the church advocates for distributism. Um, but in that, one of the things that capitalism does in, in the coloring of our understanding about work is it places more value on that which raises more money. Uh, and so we look at work really in terms of, well, the value of work therefore comes from what it's able to, to provide for the, the person doing the work. And so it becomes transactional. Uh, and the church really pushes back against this transactional idea of work and talks about the dignity and the value of work just in the work itself. So is there something in there that we need to to correct in order to maybe have a better view of uh, male and female and how that relates in the working world? I, absolutely. I think that it, it just uh, looking at the inherent dignity of work and, you know, St. Jose Maria talks so much about sanctifying our ordinary daily work. So I knew a woman, it was, she had several children and she said, you know, she Basically, each diaper that she changed, she figured it was one diaper closer to heaven, right? <laughs> His point was, and I, she, I think she understood St. Jose Maria, which is where you're at right here and now, this is how you're meant to get to heaven. So just do what you're, what's right in front of you. And I often think, you know, it's really easy to come up with these grandiose plans of how we're going to change the world and whatever, bring about world peace. I don't know, whatever your grandiose plan is. And yet, what our Lord is asking us to do is what's right in front of us. And think about how much time we spend in our daily lives undoing mistakes that because people didn't just do their jobs, right? You get double booked on a credit card or somebody rang, you know, you're going through your credit card bill and you think, wait a minute, I didn't spend that much at dinner. And you pull out your receipt. And you're like, no, I didn't. And oh, somebody rang something incorrectly, right? And to get that fixed, it's going to take a lot of time, possibly more time actually than the error is worth. Right. Or, you know, something isn't fixed properly on your car or you're, you know, you call the, the dryer repair guy. It, it takes three, four times for them to do the work properly. The point is, is that if we say, if we do what's right in front of us, if we see that what is right in front of us is our means of sanctification and we do that well, as if 
wow, this really is important. This is how I'm going to get to heaven. Even if it's something like, uh, you know, as ignominious as changing a diaper or, you know, maybe, maybe you're building skyscrapers. I don't know. Whatever it is that you're doing, that work right there is important because that's, that's where God has you at this moment. And doing it well is going to bring you closer to heaven. It, that work becomes a means to an end. It becomes a means to our own sanctification. Yeah. I love this Benedictine idea of, of work because the work right in front of you is important, but it's important for the time allotted. And when the bell rings and calls you to prayer, you put it down right where you are because even that, as important as the work is, it's, it's not so important that it should consume your life. And I think that one of the things that our capitalist system has done is, you know, you work until the work is done and it, and it really ends up people take their work home with them and it, it impacts family life because you're constantly thinking about the work that you were doing. And so now the work that's right in front of you, that work of being with your family and and developing those relationships and helping your children grow, uh, that's that work is being diminished because of the view that we have of the value of work being based on the monetary ability to come back to you. So we we ignore, I think, sometimes the more important work because of that category error. We do, and I think, and and part of it is the, the technology. The technology puts the work with us all the time. I mean, we you know we we've got our smartphones, so the email is always there. Somebody, we we text with our colleagues. You could always be reached by someone. Um, I think it's also challenging because we again getting back to that first earlier question is what is the culture of work? And so we see, I think in our society, work is seen as um, an end in itself rather than a means to an end. And it's the old question of, do I live to work or do I work to live, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a, it's hard because some environment, there are some work environments in which you have to be available, you know, 24-7, 26-7, 28-7, you know, more hours than there are in the day. Uh, and, and so juggling that can be really, really challenging because by and large, we live in a culture that, that puts work, makes, makes a premium work more so than human relationships. So in the last couple of seconds here, what would you say is uh, kind of homework as people are hearing this and they're trying to figure out how to implement it in their lives? What's maybe a thought to ponder to help people gain a proper perspective of work moving forward? Uh, that question again, do I live to work or do I work to live? Um, and, and asking ourselves that, if we have the opportunity to engage our colleagues with that and, and even to have, you know, some of us are in leadership positions where we can have a broader conversation about the, the, the culture at work, but it's really getting it straight in our own heads first. Mm-hmm. We've been talking today with Dr. Pia Desalini about the value of work and the place of women in the workplace. Dr. Pia, thank you so much for joining us today. Always great to be with you. Thanks so much. As always, there's more to my conversation with Dr. Pia than we had the time to air. Uh, Normally, I give that extra segment to my Patreon supporters, but because of the topic this week, it's available to everyone. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and up in the top right-hand corner of the page, Click the link that says support the show, Patreon, and there you can get access to that extra segment. Join the Patreon community and get access to all the extra segments. 
When we come back, we're going to have a reading from Scripture and from the CDF document Dr. Pia mentioned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where you explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we've been talking with Dr. Pia DeSalini. Uh, she is a theologian, a moral theologian, formerly the Chancellor of the Diocese of Orange and theological advisor to Bishop Kevin Van. Uh, we were pleased to have her on to talk about the feminine genius, and specifically, uh, there was a big Twitter dust-up about whether or not women should work outside the home, and, and I thought that Dr. Pia would have a great perspective on that, which she provided for us in the previous two segments. If you missed any part of the episode or you want to go back and listen again or share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, and each and every week I produce an extra segment, a couple of extra questions with our guest that I give exclusively to those who support the show through Patreon. However, this week it's yours for free. Everybody gets it. All you have to do is go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link up in the top right-hand corner of the website. If you can't see me, I'm pointing at it right now because that's what we do on radio. Uh, up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see the link that says Support the Show Patreon. Click on that and get access to this week's uh, extra segment for free. And then consider joining that community. For as little as $5 a month, you get an, an extra segment each and every week with each of our guests and you do your part to help keep us on the air, bringing you these fantastic interviews week in and week out. Well, each and every week, one of the things we do on this show is we turn our attention to a reading from Scripture and from a document from the church, either church history or something more recent. Well, today we're doing something more recent. Dr. Pia mentioned a CDF document, which was penned by Cardinal then, Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, later to become Pope Benedict XVI. So we're going to take a, a couple of paragraphs out of that and explore that in just a moment. But first, we always start with Scripture. And part of the reason for this is, we, yes, this is a show about the implications of our faith, but we have to know the principles of our faith as well. Uh, we have to have that that foundation before we can then go out and, and explore and probe what the implications of those uh, beliefs are. So let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our Scripture today comes from Luke chapter 7. A certain Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, there was a sinful woman in that city who heard that he was reclining at table in the house of the Pharisee. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said, Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days' wages, and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, 
the one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered the house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it comes up in next week's uh, readings as you go to daily Mass. The reason that I read it today is I'm struck by the creativity and the the way that this woman uh, really expressed her love and her gratitude. Uh, I think of some other people who have also been forgiven. I think of the 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 ten lepers, and Jesus healed all ten of them, and one came back uh, in rejoicing and excitement and thanked Jesus, and then uh, and then wanted to follow him, but then went on his way. That there was uh, it wasn't quite transactional, but it was it was still very much. Um, uh, you're my hero kind of thing. And here, here there's this expression of, of affection that, um, that goes far beyond uh, wh- what I think of as something that I would do, right? Uh, I look at this and, and I wonder what of this comes specifically from her because of her femininity. What, what is this uniquely hers uh, that she offers and then becomes the lesson for the rest of us to see. Uh, It calls to mind the first section. This is a sentence that we're really not going to delve into out of our reading uh, from this document uh, from the CDF. Uh, The the document in question is called A Letter to the Bishops of the Catholic Church on the Collaboration of Men and Women in the Church and in the World. It's a very, well, let's just say it's not the most creative title in the world. Uh, But in this document, Uh, right at the beginning of this section, section 13, that we're going to be reading out of, there's this line. Among the fundamental values linked to women's actual lives is what's been called a capacity for the other. Although a certain type of feminist rhetoric makes demands for ourselves, women preserve the deep intuition of the goodness in their lives, of those actions which elicit life and contribute to the growth and protection of the other, and so as I was contemplating what scripture we were going to read today, uh, that this one really stood out because I see it as an exemplification of that first line: how this person, as she is expressing her gratitude to Christ, and she's washing his feet with her tears and anointing his feet with this uh, this expensive oil, she's doing just that very thing: uh, that she is uh, preserving this deep intuition of the goodness in her life uh, in these actions, which are eliciting life and contributing to the growth and the protection in this case of, of Christ, this lovely uh, expression that, that I would never think to do. And yet, and I would assume that many men would never think to do Simon, of course, whose home that they were in, didn't even think to do the, the basic simple acts of hospitality. And yet 
in her creativity and in her femininity, she expresses this love in this specific way. I want to read further out of this. We're going to read out of section 13 from this letter on the collaboration of men and women in the church and in the world. This comes from the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith back when Cardinal Ratzinger was uh, was the prefect of that office. Of course, he went on to become Pope Benedict XVI. And we read this a little bit further on in that section, section 13. Although motherhood is a key element of women's identity, this does not mean that women should be considered from the sole perspective of physical procreation. In this area, there can be serious distortions which extol biological fecundity in purely quantitative terms and are often accompanied by dangerous disrespect for women. In this perspective, one understands the irreplaceable role of women in all aspects of family and social life involving human relationships and caring for others. Here, what John Paul II has termed the genius of women becomes very clear. It implies, first of all, that women be significantly and actively present in the family, the primordial and, in a certain sense, sovereign society, since it is here above all that features of a people take shape. It is here that its members acquire basic teachings, that they learn to love in as much as they are unconditionally loved. They learn respect for others in as much as they are respected. They learn to know the face of God in as much as they receive a first revelation of it from a father and a mother, full of attention in their regard. Whenever these fundamental experiences are lacking, society as a whole suffers violence and becomes in turn the progenitor of more violence. It also means that women should be present in the world of work and in the organizations of society, and that women should have access to positions of responsibility which allow them to inspire the policies of nations and to promote innovative solutions to economic and social problems. In this regard, it cannot be forgotten that the interrelationship between these two activities, family and work, has for women characteristics different from those in the case of men. The harmonization of the organization of work and laws governing work with the demands stemming from the mission of women within the family is a challenge. The question is not only legal, economic, and organizational, it is above all a question of mentality, culture, and respect. Indeed, a just valuing of the work of women within the family is required. In this way, women who freely desire to be able to devote the totality of their time to the work of the household without being stigmatized by society or penalized financially, while those who wish also to engage in other work may be able to do so with an appropriate work schedule and not have to choose between relinquishing their family life or enduring continual stress with negative consequences for one's own equilibrium and the harmony of the family. As John Paul II has written, it will redound to the credit of society to make it possible for a mother, without inhibiting her freedom, without psychological or practical discrimination, and without penalizing her as compared with other women, to devote herself to taking care of her children and educating them in accordance with their needs, which vary with age. There's so much more to this reading from the CDF. We're going to post the whole link to it over on our social media, but that's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Lillian Vogel and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Be sure to weigh in over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. 
And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.